Wilder Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, this morning, we are going to be wrapping up a sermon series we began a number of weeks ago called The New Power. This series is anchored in Galatians chapter 5 and talks about how those of us who are in Christ have access to a new power to enable us to live the life that God has called us to live. And that new power, of course, is the Holy Spirit that God has given as a gift to indwell the hearts and lives of all who are in Christ. And so if you are a Christian, then that means the Holy Spirit resides within you. And if the Holy Spirit resides within you, that means that you have a new opportunity. But how do we make sense of that, and and how do we begin to apply that truth in our lives? We've been talking about that a little bit all month long, and we're going to hopefully put a bow on this section of God's Word today in a way that will help you not only understand the Spirit a little more, but also understand how we might respond in faith. Well, before we do that, though, I I want to ask you a question, and that question is this. How many of you can differentiate between different types of trees? How many of you? It's a sincere question. I see a few hands going up. Uh, Bruce and Ronnie, I see you at the back. You're you're on board with this. Um, Many of you can can tell, but, but let me ask you, how many of you can tell the difference between these trees? Now, it's a little more difficult to tell what kind of tree these are. These are are trees in my backyard. And at some point, they died. And over the last month or so, I've cut them down. And now they live in a pile in my backyard. Now, in this state, in this condition, it is difficult for most of you to tell what kind of a tree those are. There are at least three different kinds of trees in that stack. Now, you might be like me, you look at that and you go, that is, you know, genus and species, dried up stichamus. Um, we've seen those before. Uh, but, but being able to differentiate what they are exactly is really hard in this condition. It's hard to tell the difference between dead things, isn't it? But when those were alive, when those trunks were attached to the ground and they had a root, you would be able to tell. Even those of you who didn't raise your hand earlier probably could tell that there are a number of crepe myrtles in that pile because when they're attached to their root, what do they produce? Leaves and flowers. And you're able to go, there's a crepe myrtle. In some of those, you would be able to tell, well, that's a a sweet gum. Well, how would you know it's a sweet gum? Because it it produces leaves, but also those God-forsaken sweet gum balls. That, that fall down and, and cause challenges and problems in your life. See, we can tell what a tree is by the fruit that it produces. When it's alive and, and living and active, we can tell where it is drawing its resources and what its true identity really is. Now, friends, this principle is, is not just something that is a principle for trees, but it's also something that is a principle for humans, that as we live out our lives, we will produce fruit that will reveal to the world around us whose we are and will reveal to the world around us where we are drawing our strength and who is providing our direction. We're going to see that 
principle come very clear as we conclude this series by looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 26. So if you've got a Bible, you might take it and turn or tap over in your phone or iPad to Galatians chapter 5. I want to read these seven verses, and then after I read them, we're going to back up and make a couple of observations from these verses today that will help us understand a little bit more about the work of the Spirit in our lives, but also how we might respond in light of that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, the Apostle Paul writes to his friends in Galatia and says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, friends, in these seven verses, we're going to see two things today that tell us something about the work of the Spirit and also how we might respond. Well, what are those things? Well, the first thing that we're going to see is this. Our true relationship with Him is felt by them. Our true relationship with Him is felt by them. Now, this is something that we have seen referenced a number of times in this letter to the Galatians, but it comes in maybe its greatest clarity in the seven verses that I just read. And it's this idea that what is on the inside of us ultimately shows up on the outside. That what we are depending on, what we are relying upon, who is calling the shots for us ultimately will be something that those around us will experience. Now, as Christians, we take this direction from Jesus. And Jesus talked about the, the, the possibility of us being influenced by a couple of different sets of desires in Luke chapter 6 and verse 45. He said, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks." Jesus is saying that, that what is on the inside of us ultimately comes on the outside, especially what we are depending on. If we are drawing from the well of our flesh, then the world will experience the works of the flesh. And if we are drawing from the well of the Spirit, then the world will experience the fruit of the Spirit. Now, this is something that is possible for the follower of Jesus because of a dynamic that exists that we saw last Sunday in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. When, when Paul reminded us, he said, the desire of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. In other words, inside of every follower of Christ, there is a flesh, and that flesh is the part of us that wants to gratify us. It's that part of us that wants to sin. It's that part of us that is taking all of the data from the world around us and organizing it in such a way to convince us to live our lives just for us. 
But if we know Christ, we don't just have a flesh, but we also have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit desires not to gratify us, but the Holy Spirit desires to glorify God. And so as a believer of Jesus Christ, there are competing sets of desires within us. And depending on which sets of desires we lean back into, which set of desires we allow to influence our lives the most, the world around us will experience different things. Now, we see one of the things the world could experience of those around us in verse 19. He says, now there are the works of the flesh, and they are evident. In other words, if we are to dip out of our flesh, if we are to live our lives out of the influence of our flesh, then those around us will know it. It will be evident to them. In other words, you can't hide that. You can't hide if you are living your life only for you. Those around you will figure it out. They're evident. So what are some of the ways that living just for us becomes evident to those around us? Well, the Apostle Paul provides a list. And we'll organize that list in a number of different parts. The first section of that list, he says, the, the, the works of the flesh are evident, and they include sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. And it's as if the Apostle Paul is saying, if you are to live your lives with you at the center, if you were to live your lives out of the desires of your flesh, then your attitude towards the area of sex will be broken. It will be broken because you will think that sex is just all about you and what you want to do. And your flesh will begin convincing you of that perspective. If you are living your life out of the flesh, then your flesh can convince you that adultery is a good idea because it feels right, at least in that moment. And if you are living out of the flesh, then your flesh can convince you that homosexuality is an appropriate expression of sexuality. Why? Because it feels normal to you if that is a temptation for you. And, and if you are, are living and, and viewing pornography, your flesh can convince you that that's a good idea, a, a good alternative. Why? Because your flesh is saying it's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. Do what feels right to you. Well, what is that, friends? That is living according to the desires of the flesh. And one of the works of the flesh is a number of different perversities with sexuality, what we do in the sexual area, what we think about in the sexual area, and even how we process everything is overly sexualized. Is something that happens when we live according to the flesh. But he continues, not only is the sexual area of our life impacted by this fleshly perspective, but, but also... The religious area of our life is impacted. The next category of sins that he mentions, he talks about idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry we're familiar with. That's the idea of worshiping something other than God. This idea of sorcery, it really, in the, the original language, that's the word from which we get our root for pharmacy. And it was how in, in ancient times they would use illicit drugs in order to aid their contact with dark spiritual forces. And so both of these have a little bit of a, a worshiping the wrong thing feel to them. And 
again, what we see here is what happens in this area. Well, if, if we are living out of the desires of our flesh, then who God is doesn't matter. What matters to us if we're living according to the flesh? Not who God is, but who what? Who I say God is. And so I get to invent God. And we can invent him in a lot of different ways. A number of world religions have invented God in this form or that form, or we might have just something else in our life that we elevate to an inappropriate level, that we begin to organize our lives around those things. How does that happen? Well, it happens when we live out of the desires of our flesh. We put us at the center, then we create our own gods, and we pursue them in our own means. Paul said that's a, a work of the flesh. There's another category, and this category was rather long. If he just mentioned one or two things in the previous ones, he goes all out in this third category, and it's the category of interpersonal sins, interpersonal sins. He talks about enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy, all cancer to relationships with other people. When we live our lives with us at the center, when we live our lives out of the desires of our flesh, the world around us will experience us not caring for them, not loving them, but us using them to get what we want. That's what this says. Your stuff is better in my pocket, my garage, in my house. And so I envy, I have jealousy related to your things. We think your idea is stupid. My idea is right. Why do we think that? because it's my idea. And if we're dealing out of the desires of our flesh, then we are always right and everybody else is dumb. And the world would be better if everybody just did things my way, right? This is living not out of the spirit. This is living out of the desires of the flesh. It shows up in our interpersonal relationships. But it also shows up in areas of consumption, sins of consumption, He talks here about drunkenness and orgies. Again, in the original language, this word orgies means to eat to excess at big festivals and parties. That's not what you were thinking, right? But that was some of the idea. These are sins of consumption. Viewing everything around you as yours, and you ought to be able to imbibe it or eat it or whatever at whatever level is the extent of your appetite. You see, this this idea is is anchored back to living according to the desires of our flesh. It puts us at the center of the equation. Now, after providing all of these lists, it's interesting, he concludes with this, or things like these. In other words, I don't have enough papyra. I don't have enough ink in my well, Paul says, to, to write out all of the different kinds of sins. And you know what, too? I'm thankful that he he keeps them in these categories and things because we invent new ways to sin. I mean, the same categories of sin, but our applications are different in our day. But he just goes on and says, or things like these. If you live with you at the center, the world around you will experience you and will feel you and will be hurt by you. It's not possible to hang out with this crowd and not get hurt. And so often we think that our lives are just about us and we do whatever we want to do. But if we live according to the flesh, others end up hurt. Not even to speak of what happens to us as well. After providing this list, 
He concludes verse 21 by making this statement, I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, people who are living out of the flesh are not living the Christian life. You're not living the life that Christ desires you to live. You're living a life that looks like an unredeemed person. Because the living according to the flesh is all the world has, but a Christian has something more. Paul writes this not to talk of the loss of salvation, but to say if you are living according to the flesh, you are not living the life that God desires for you. It's a change. It's a, it's a difference. But after providing that statement, after making that call, Paul quickly turns and talks about the opportunity that's available for the follower of Jesus. Not just the flesh, but what else do we have access to? Say it with me. The Spirit. Not just the flesh, but we have access to the Spirit of God. And not access out there, and not just access in this room, but access wherever you go, because the Holy Spirit has come to reside in your heart and life. Amen? So what happens when we live not according to the desires of the flesh, but when we live according to the desires of the Spirit? When that happens... There's fruit that comes in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit. I I love just the poetry of this, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, when Paul writes this, it's the works of the flesh, but the fruit of the Spirit. Is it obvious which one we're supposed to lean towards? The works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Well, what are the fruits of the Spirit? If we're living according to the resources of the Spirit of God, how will the world around us experience us? They will experience love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Now, we'll talk a little bit in just a moment about what those mean, but let me just ask you, who do those traits remind you of? That's right, Sam. They remind us of Jesus himself. And seeing those and thinking of it that way, it helps make sense of a rather mysterious verse that we saw back in Galatians chapter 2 earlier this year. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I'm living my life inside of this flesh, but I'm not dependent upon the flesh. I'm dependent upon the spirit of Jesus that lives in me so that you, Galatians, as you interact with me, you should interact with and experience the fruit of the character of Jesus Christ. This is God's plan for us, that the world would experience us but receive the fruit of the spirit as a result. That's God's desire. That's God's plan for you and for me. And so when we think about the the fruit of the Spirit, what is it about Jesus that the world should experience as we are living our lives connected to our identity in Christ and not our identity in the flesh? Well, it's love. It's love. I think it's interesting. Some of you are familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A number of the descriptions of love in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, they show up in this list, right? So I think it's part of the reason why he leads with it. It's a good headline, fruit singular, of what the world would experience is the fruit of love. 
in Christ, a Christian kind of love. Jesus has loved us, therefore we should love those around us. And others around us, as they experience us, should experience the love of Christ. Joy. You know, we live in a world that's challenging, and because of that, our jaw is down and our brow is furrowed and our hat is pulled low all too often. But we of all people, friends, have a reason for joy. May we live a life of joy. Why? Because we have the joyous heart of Christ inside of us. Jesus lived at a tough time. Think so? He was crucified at the end of his life. That's how tough a time it was he was living. Yet he lived with joy. Peace. We have peace with God because what God has done for us in Christ, Jesus lived it at peace. That didn't mean he didn't rile up at times with with emotion, positive and negative, but it meant that he had stability in his life because of who he was. And, And if we have Christ inside of us, we can have a stability that adds peace to our lives and our existence. Patience. Jesus is patient with us. Therefore, as the world interacts with us, they should experience that patience as well. Kindness. I love this idea of kindness. I think, honestly, this is one of the fruits of the Spirit that is most neglected by Christians today. Just kindness. Kindness. That we might have a kindness about us as we relate to others because we have Jesus inside of us. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. We could go on and on with each of these. But it's fascinating to look at these and see something about them. In total, what what they do is they they talk about a relationship that is mostly horizontal in nature. You know, oftentimes when we think of the fruits of the Spirit or we think of our relationship with God, we want to think only vertically. And certainly... As it relates to our relationship with God, we we love Him and we have joy because of Him and we have peace with Him because of Jesus and all of those kinds of things. But in this context, I really think he is talking about a horizontal expression of fruit. He's talking about if we are dependent upon the Spirit, love will be experienced by those around us. If we are dependent upon the Spirit, joy will be experienced by those around us. And, you know, if, if I were to go back... Who wants to be around the person who is envy and dissension and jealousy? Well, that doesn't sound like somebody we want to hang out with. But don't you want to be around people who are loving and joyous and peaceful? That's why he makes the statement at the end. He says, against these kinds of fruit, people, normal people, people thinking clearly, don't make laws. Nobody says, stop being so loving. Stop being so kind. Stop being so good. If they're thinking adequately and appropriately about a situation. See, these fruits are relational in nature. So we are reminded that if we are in relationship with God, that the world around us will experience that. And one of the reminders of that, and that that is in the context here, is found in verse 26 where Paul says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The fruit of the Spirit ought to impact the way that we think about ourselves and those around us. John Stott helps us make sense of this a little bit when he says, to sum up then, truly Christian relationships are governed not by rivalry, but by service. 
The correct attitude to other people is not, I'm better than you and I'll prove it, nor you're better than I and I resent it, but you are a person of importance in your own right because God made you in his own image and Christ died for you, and it is my joy and privilege to serve you. If we are in relationship with God, it will impact the world around us. If we are dependent upon him and drawing from our identity in the spirit, the world will feel it. And so a couple of questions to ask. The first one is this. What aroma is around your life? What aroma is around your life? Those who are around you, your your friends, your roommates, your family, your coworkers, your classmates, what, what do they notice about you? More works of the flesh or more fruit of the Spirit? If they were to answer the question, is that person mostly living for themselves or is that person mostly living for Christ, demonstrated in the way that they have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, et cetera, et cetera? It's a good question for us to ask. You know, this last week I ate lunch at a barbecue restaurant. And about two hours after I got back from the barbecue restaurant, I realized that I still smelled like barbecue. I think I myself had been barbecued. Now, I don't know if that was because spending time there, the aroma had soaked up in my clothing or if it was coming out through my pores. Some of you scientists can explain that dynamic to me later. But but I'm just telling you, there was an aroma about me because of where I had been. What's the aroma about you? Maybe another question to help get to that point. I want you to ask someone in your life this question today. What is it like to be on the other side of me? What's it like to be on the other side of me? It's a challenging question, but it's a good diagnostic. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that we are to self-identify as much as others are able to experience. And so ask those close to you, what's it like to be on the other side of me? And pay attention to how they answer. Friends, our true relationship with him is felt by them. But there's a second thing we need to see in these verses that's really, really important that we can't miss. And that second thing we need to see is this. It really has to do with our response, our response to the reality of the Spirit in our lives. And that is that we are to nail down tight and walk upright. I'm not a very good poet. That's as good as it gets. So you're going to have to deal with that. Nail down tight and walk upright. My hope is that you'll remember this principle because there's a little bit of a rhyme to it, even a bad one, to nail down tight and walk upright. This is our response to the presence of the Spirit in our lives. See, often when we think of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives, we emphasize almost a passive response. Because the Spirit is present, the Spirit is one who empowers us, the Spirit will will fill our sail and propel us forward in the Christian life, and all of those things are true. But what's fascinating to me is inside of Galatians chapter 5, in the, the section of God's Word that most deals with the Holy Spirit's work in our lives as a Christian, it's fascinating that inside of that is a definite and clear call to action. There is something we are supposed to do in light of the fact that the Spirit is inside of us. So what is it that we're supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to nail down tight and we're supposed to walk upright. Now, where do we see that in these verses? As it relates to nailing down tight, we see that in 
chapter 5, verse 24, when Paul says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says that those who belong to Christ Jesus, who is he referring to? He's referring to all who have trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. If you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, your name could be written there. And Muriel, right? And Dave. Our names could be written there. Those who belong to Christ have an action to do. And that action has to do with crucifying the flesh. Now, it's written here in a past tense because it's something that should happen at the moment of our conversion. That we realize that our hope is not in us and we are going to live in light of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit has come to reside within us, but we still have this flesh that is around us in our lives. And God's plan for our flesh is not that we entertain it. It's not that we play with it. It's not that we tempt it. It's that we crucify it. That we take a nail and we nail metaphorically that flesh down and say, you stay there. I'm not going to live in light of your temptations any longer. And then we walk away. We are called to crucify our flesh. Now, this is something that we see in Romans 13, 14, a verse that we looked at last Sunday. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. What Paul was saying, he says, if you have nailed your flesh and crucified it, don't go back and pick the nails out. Leave it there. Don't mess with it anymore. Don't give in. Don't consider it as an alternative or another option. Crucify it. Leave it there for death. Walk away. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 9 says it similarly. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You must put them all away. Put off the old self with its practices. We are to walk away from the desires of our flesh. It's, it's an action. Knowing that there is an alternative, we are to leave our flesh behind. And we are to lean in a different direction. Now, not only are we to nail down tight the flesh, but also there's a second thing that we are to do. Not just to nail it down and then stay there nearby, but we are to nail it down and then we are to live by the Spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we don't stay there, but we go somewhere. This phrase, live by the Spirit, is a wonderful phrase. The, the language there is used of wind filling a sail to propel a boat along the water. That's the idea of the power that the Spirit gives to enable us to obedience. But this word, living by the Spirit, has another context, and that's the context of a shepherd with his sheep. The shepherd or the Spirit is guiding us as well. And that leads us to our response. If the Spirit wants to guide us, what are we to do? To obey. To be guided. To follow His lead. That's why after making this statement, if we live by the Spirit, He says, let us also then keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit is going to lead you in a direction. 
obey that direction, regardless of of what you feel, regardless of how much it makes sense to you even. The Spirit of God is going to lead us and to guide us. We are to obey and to follow. Now, what's interesting about that is when we think of this idea of being led by the Spirit, we might wonder, well, how do we know where the Spirit wants to guide us? How do we know the voice of the Spirit? And my response to that is, wouldn't it be wonderful if God had spoken consistently enough in the past so that we had a record, so that we could recognize the voice of God? You know, my phone has a record of my voice so that when I say a catchphrase, it will spring to life and spy on me. It recognizes my voice. It's been a student of me. Wouldn't it be great if, if we had a record of God's voice so that we could recognize it when it came? And of course, the answer to that, friends, is we absolutely have a record of the voice of God. We have it in the Scriptures. This is the voice of God. The same Spirit that is leading us and guiding us will never lead us and guide us in a direction different from the Word of God. So when we think of where the Spirit is guiding us and what it looks like for us to live the Christian life and the power of the Spirit, it means that we're going to listen to the voice of the Spirit through the Word. We are to nail down our flesh and we are to leave and walk in the direction that the Spirit leads and guides, which is going to be in the direction of obedience, consistent with what we see in the Word of God. And so we are to nail down tight and we are to walk upright. Do you know what this process really is? It's the process of repentance. It's a word that we see often in Scripture. It's an important component to our response to God. It means to nail down our flesh, to leave it behind, to turn, and to follow Him instead. And with that being said, How would we respond to this message today? A couple of questions. First question, what do you need to nail down? What do you need to nail down? What what part of your life do you understand that there is part of your flesh that is leading you and pushing you and compelling you in a different direction, but rather than crucifying it, you've pulled the nails out and you've said, let's go for a ride. What do you need to nail down? What do you need to nail down tight? What situation do you need to extricate yourself from? What temptation do you need to remove? What thought process do you need to call out for the lie that it is? What do you need to nail down tight? The second question is this. What step do you need to take? What step do you need to take? I love that. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. It's a step-by-step process, right? So we don't have to think about everything. Just what's the next step? If I'm going to leave my flesh behind, I'm going to say, I'm not going to live according to those desires anymore. I'm going to live in light of the desires that I have in the Spirit of God. I don't have to know everything. I just need to know what the next step is. And my guess is this morning, even with a limited understanding of Scripture, there's something that you you know what that next step is. Walking away from this means walking towards Him. And what's that next step? It's a great question to ask today. What do you need to nail down? And what step do you need to take? Friends, as you do that, the beautiful thing is, God will fill your sail. 
and his fruit will be manifest in your life. This is the gift that we have of the new power in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for just this incredible section of your word that not only reminds us of the power of the Spirit, but also calls us to repent and follow you. Lord, may we have the courage and the faith to do so. And I pray for any who are here today who have never placed their faith and trust in Christ, but they know that their life is headed in the wrong direction. Lord, that today they might repent and they might turn and just their first step is to acknowledge that they need forgiveness of their sin and that they might trust in Jesus right now in their hearts and that you might send your spirit to empower them to live a different life. And for all of us, Lord, may we not live our lives for us, but may we live our lives to your glory and honor according to the overwhelming riches of your spirit that you have given to reside within us. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Everyone say it.